What is up, everybody? Hope your week is going well. Happy Friday. I am Will Brinson, the host of the Pick 6 Podcast, CBS Sports' daily NFL podcast, 30 minutes or more. Well, it's usually not less. Usually 30 minutes or more, right about 30 minutes or more. We're like the reverse of dominoes in the 80s. We will not show up at your doorstep in under 30 minutes uh, most most of the time. That's okay. You get good content. We're plowing through the daily stuff, hitting these teams. We're going to wrap up the NFC South today with a good friend of mine, Joe Person of the Charlotte Observer. Follow him on Twitter, at Joseph Person. We have an awesome Panthers talk coming where we break down ownership stuff. You know, We talk about how this offense is going to look with Norv Turner running the show, what Cam Newton, what we can expect from Cam Newton and all the different weapons they got, sort of a, a breakdown of how Marty Herney drafted this year after his, uh, we'll call it a hiatus. Is fired by Jerry Richardson. What to expect from David Tepper? What to expect from the defense? Plenty of stuff on the Panthers. Tune in for that here in a little bit. We will hit some news in a second. Uh, so a couple items of housekeeping. Number one, the upcoming schedule. We're wrapping up the NFC South, of course. The NFC West will be next week. That's the Panther. That's, excuse me. That's not the Panthers. Seahawks, Rams, 49ers, and Cardinals. Not necessarily in that order. We'll see how it goes. Uh, we'll have five shows next week, of course. If you have somebody that you would like us to talk to, try to talk to, can't guarantee it'll happen, uh, let me know on Twitter, at Will Brinson. Do the same if you have a question you would like me to ask. I can guarantee that'll happen. If you got a question about one of those four teams you want asked, tweet me. I will ask the person that comes on to talk about that team because it makes my life easier. Speaking of my life being easy, the week after that, I'm on vacation. I'm getting out of the country. On the, on the, uh, on the lamb, so to speak, uh, with my parents, my wife and my young son, we will be in a remote location, scuba diving. Uh, Patty certified, man. Whole family's a bunch of divers and, uh, we have a good time. We'll, t- we'll dive three times a day, two before, or four times a day. If you want to bar joke, you know, get the, the, dive, the bar dive is what the, the divers joke about it. It's not very funny. Uh, while I'm gone, the plan is, I think, either to do five days a week, maybe three days a week, depending on what guests we can get. If you would, if you would really, really prefer five days a week, let me know on, on Twitter. Seriously. The, the more people that yell, the, the easier it is to say, Hey guys, this is what we need to do. And if that's the case, maybe I'll even record some extra shows next week and then we'll fire them out and make sure that you guys get your daily content. Um, I, I, I don't know exactly what the deal is. We'll, we'll, we'll get it hashed out next week and I, I will keep you guys appraised. But if you have a preference on what you would like while I am gone, by all means, let me know to the news. Ruben's, Fo- Ruben Foster's accuser is his girlfriend at the time. Presumably now ex-girlfriend uh, had previously recanted and, and then was in court today and actually said that she lied and made the whole thing up in an attempt to Ruben, an attempt to ruin Ruben Foster's career in a fit of jealousy and rage following their breakup. I mean, that, that's basically the gist of it. And that is a, a wild 180 degree turn from what we expected to happen because now it appears that Ruben Foster could actually just end up Walking away from this with nothing happening to him. And I think that a month ago, based on the nature of the allegations and what we understood had happened, it sure did look like, uh, Reuben Foster was going to end up, uh, you know, potentially even serving time in jail. 
and probably not playing football for for quite some time, if ever again. It's a it's a but it's it's pretty crazy how far the pendulum has swung on that. I'm not even going to dive into the the moral aspect of it, but because there's still stuff to play out here. But it it really has turned uh, quite quickly. The Cleveland Browns will be your team on hard knocks this year. Uh, finally, the, the, uh, the NFL was able to land that big fish, bring them right in, get that, get the, get the Browns. They've actually been trying to do it for a while and they couldn't, they couldn't because the Browns kept firing their coach. I'm not even kidding. You, you're exempt from, you're exempt from being forced into doing hard knocks if you fired your coach in the lab, if you have a new coach. And the Browns either were so boring or always had a new coach that they, they seemed to get out of it. They're not going to do it this year because John Dorsey has not fired Hugh Jackson. They haven't made the playoffs in the last two years. They're not exempt. They have never done hard knocks. They are not exempt from getting out of hard knocks. John Dorsey said he was, uh, you know, he was he was, he was hesitant to do it at first, but eventually signed on. I would guess that it is good pub uh, being pressed upon him by Jimmy Haslam. And I think it's going to be exciting. This is a young team with a lot of talent. Miles Garrett, Jabril Peppers on that defensive side of the ball. They're adding Denzel Ward as a top five pick. We see how that works with him. On the offensive side, you got Baker Mayfield versus Tyrod Taylor. You got Nick Chubb versus Carlos Hyde. Two great, how are they going to replace Joe Thomas? Some really good storylines on that side of the ball. The Mayfield Taylor stuff is, is just going to be fascinating. I can't wait to see how that plays out. If I had to predict, I would bet that Baker Mayfield wins the job and it's the best scene of hard knocks when he finds out that he's, he wins the, he, he starts preseason week three and then steals the job from Tyrod Taylor. That's just my prediction. Uh, also, another prediction for Hard Knocks, Greg Williams, the defensive coordinator, the man responsible for much of Bounty Gate, uh, does something bizarre with either his hair or his glasses. I, I would guess a uh, perhaps dyeing his goatee again. Maybe even dyeing his hair. I could see him do like a sun in, maybe. Maybe remember sun in from the, the nineties. He could do a sun in situation or he could just even rock some like tortoise shell spectacles. I could see, just trust me on this and Greg Williams is going to do something weird. It's going to happen. Uh, beer notes very quickly. I'm drinking a, uh, red hair gangway IPA out of, uh, Marietta, Marietta, Georgia. I've got to confess that this is significantly past its, its best, best by date. But it uh, it doesn't taste bad. I, I was surprised. I expected when it, um, you know, when I when I when I saw the date on it, that it would be bad. But it's very it's got some nice citrus, a little bit piney for my taste, but not bad. I, I had a Founders Azaka earlier today. That was that's that stuff is fantastic. That is a real nice fruity beer that stays fresh. If you want to check that out, and uh, and then. Um, Oh gosh, the, uh, I, I forgot the name of the beer that, that I was drinking the other day, but there, it's, uh, Union Jack is the IPA, and then they got a, a distortion style IPA thing that they do. Uh, Firestone Walker. That stuff is now circulating through North Carolina. It's fantastic. You should check that out. North Carolina beers is something we talk about with Joe Person, as a matter of fact, because Joe knows a lot about beer. Because he's in Charlotte, loves an IPA, going to drink one with him. We mentioned we actually break down some Charlotte beers, so stay tuned for that. Plus a bunch of Panthers talk. Follow him on Twitter, at Joseph Person. Read his stuff at the Charlotte Observer. All right, Joe, let's dive right into the first thing that everyone in the Panthers wants to know about. The ownership situation, which is not related to the draft, not related to their offseason, but it's a big deal. Do you think this is a net win for the Carolina Panthers to land David Tepper as the new owner? 
I'm just, I'm just so thrilled you didn't ask me if the team is staying in Charlotte. It's <laughs> the dumbest. Like I have editors it. asking me that, and and they're just doing their due diligence. But yes, the, the David Tepper is going to keep the team here. It's there's a lot of money moving in here. It's a young, vibrant city. Uh, David Tepper is an interesting cat, man. You, I know you've done your research and homework on him. He, he grew his fortune by really taking you know chances on some kind of crappy stocks and of course he got in uh, you know and, and got in on the banking uh, industry when they were in the in, in the crapper and and he's really a fascinating guy who, whose timing business-wise has been exquisite uh, to, as I said to the tune of 11 point something billion dollars uh, does that mean he's going to be a good NFL owner I mean who knows I mean <laughs> he, he's certainly smart he, uh, you know, he comes with the Pittsburgh Steelers pedigree for what that's worth. I mean, folks in Cleveland might question <laughs> if that meant much with Jimmy Haslam. But, yeah, I mean, there were a couple really good qualified buyers. I, my hunch, honestly, all along is that it was going to be Ben Navarro because we know how kind of nostalgic Jerry Richardson gets for things in the Carolinas. And Ben Navarro wasn't from here but at least he was living in, is living in the Carolinas now in Charleston. But, uh, you know, ultimately, I think the fact that um, Tepper is part of the club already as that Steelers minority partner, I think that was huge. And the fact that he's bringing 2.275 to the table in cash and not bringing like nine other investors with him ended up winning the day. Yeah, I mean, I can take like – Two hundred and twenty dollars and seventy five cents to cash, like in cash, on a really on a really good day down to like down to like No Dot Brewing and pick up some hop, drop, and roll. Joe, by the way, Joe Joe is a fellow IPA fan. The beer scene in Charlotte is incredible. Um, the, the people in this podcast like when I talk about beer, and so hop, drop, awesome. hop, drop, and roll. Uh, so the, what's what's a good? And we'll get back to temper in a second. What's a good beer in Charlotte that people should check out that you've been that you've been tasting? What you know, well, it's funny, yeah. Because I had a buddy in town uh, for, for this week. He had a conference in, in Charlotte. So I took him to Noda. Yeah. And so he was sort of like, he was kind of like the, the case study. Because I've tried all these. And uh, he really liked the hop drop. As, as, you know, not as to be expected. The second night I was with him, I was drinking a couple of uh, Triple C's oh, yeah. IPAs. Which... Which is, I mean, it, it's not fancy, you know, they're not putting like jalapeno or not putting like coconut in it, but it's a pretty darn solid IPA. And, uh, and then also we had the, uh, you're, can't believe we're going down this road. Then the Legion, I don't know, Will, if you've had Legion's Juicy J. I haven't, but I've, I've I've heard a lot about it from, uh, Tom Haberstraw of, um, who used to be at ESPN was telling me about it. He lives in Charlotte says it's the new yeah. thing. It's the new it's thing. Fantastic. Yeah. Uh, it's unfil- you know, it's an unfiltered IPA and just yeah. terrific. All right, right. So if you're in Charlotte, check out the Juicy J Sycamore Brewing. Very good too. Uh, back to, to back to, to we could do a, a beer podcast show. Back to <laughs> um, back to Tepper though. I think I mean to me the thing that really stands out is this guy. Like you said, could come in with 2.275 billion in cash, which is crazy. I was a friend of mine told me he uh, kind of in order to get the cash, he didn't have it all liquid. He actually um, sold off a, or, or got rid of his bi- a big stake in. Apple, which I'm sure he bought in 08 for like a hundred dollars a share and, <laughs> and, and made a billion dollars on. But, um, 
to come to the table with that kind of cash, like you said, already vetted by the NFL owners. I mean, those are big pluses anyway. It's sort of like having a, a, a house, somebody buy your house who doesn't have a contingency. But to me, right. it's, it's so important for the Panthers because this now and the NFL, this now gets the investigation off their plate of Jerry Richardson because they can close ASAP. They don't have to do their due diligence on a new owner. They don't have to do their do, you know, the, the financial due diligence on where his money's coming from and, and all of that. They can say, Hey, all right, David Tepper, we like it. You're already an owner. Jump on in. Get, get, like, they don't want the, the Jerry Richardson investigation ongoing with him as an active owner once the league year rolls around, right? No doubt about it. I think that that, I don't think that can be understated. Uh, I mean, listen, it, it was getting, it, it's continuing just to only get worse for Jerry Richardson. And there are clearly, uh, 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 former employees wh- whom he's paid off and and written uh, disgusting notes to and and done other terrible things. They 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 aren't you know they feel like they want their piece of flesh and and they and and clearly the one whistleblower is so upset that uh, with the pace of the investigation and the what she considered the farcical nature of the investigation that she went to Sports Illustrated a second time mm-hmm. and so I, that was and right in the midst of this investigation I think that w- was just a huge uh, you know just a huge uh, headache or grenade going off in the middle of these negotiations. And so who's to say if this dragged on another couple months that she or or women like her that that felt violated by Jerry Richardson didn't produce more damning and incriminating uh, handwritten letters. So I I, I mean, I don't think that there I think there's too much at stake for Roger Goodell and Mary Jo White, the, the independent investigator leading this. I don't think they can just completely say, okay, nothing to see here. Let's let's move on. There's going to have to be some semblance of a resolution to this investigation, some closure. I don't think it's necessarily going to rise to the level of Bounty Gate, where we get all kinds of, uh, you know, explicit details and very uh, a lot of specificity. I think it's going to be, and and part of that's because, oh, by the way, the non-disclosure agreements. Neither Jerry Richardson nor the league has offered these women any protection to come forward and talk without risking losing their settlement. So I think there'll be some sort of finding. I don't. Don't know that it's going to be just you know like throwing Jerry under the bus, uh, you know, as, as David Tepper drives in on that bus coming into town. <laughs> yeah, I mean that's the thing is you just want to get him out as an active owner. Uh, the Panthers are to me one of the more interesting teams in terms of actual football stuff because when I look at the NFC South, Joe, I have a hard time figuring out who's not going to be good. I think the Buccaneers did a lot in terms of improving their defensive line. Jameis Winston was a little maybe underrated last year, and I. I don't know. I mean, I I feel like I've had the I feel like the winds have blown in the right direction with Carolina for me, at least in terms of predicting their success the last few years. I I, I kind of might have them as the not the team that might not be great in the NFC South. Is that crazy? 
Yeah, I mean, you're right. I mean, they got better, but so did everybody else. Yeah. I mean, I, I guess you, I guess the one team you wonder about is, you know, with, with the Saints. And I know, of course, it's crazy to talk about is they, you know, they were the first place team to beat Carolina three times last year. You know, that we can argue about the kind of draft they had and what have you. Uh, but I don't know. I, 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 to me, it's all like every year, like I'm really breaking new ground here. <laughs> it's going to come down to this dynamic, the Cam Newton, but, but more specifically that North Turner Cam Newton dynamic. Yep. And I, I, that storyline probably did not get enough run this off season just because of what we just spent 10 minutes talking about with <laughs> everything else. But, but you know what I mean? I mean, North Turner has done some pretty darn good things oh you know he's got a track record he he's got a, a portfolio in this league dude he's one and, of the, he's one of the he's one of the like five greatest offensive coordinators in nfl history i mean if exactly you, if you strike his and, head coaching resume and just go offensive coordinator resume he's he it's him it's like he it's north turner and then wade phillips on the defensive side of guys who've just been dominant as coordinators and maybe you know didn't have the same success as head coaches no doubt, no doubt, and so, and and we and look, we can debate about whether Tory Smith has anything left in the tank. I mean, I I I think it's clear now that it was a pretty good deal, uh, yeah. you know, and not that they expected Daryl Worley to lose his mind and get tased in Philly, but there <laughs> were questions, you know, about his character here in 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 uh, Charlotte. But all that being said, that they, they do have more weapons now for Cam Newton than they did at this time last year, and so it. It's on, and, and as you just said, they have a proven offensive coordinator who's been pretty good with the likes of, of Philip Rivers and Troy Aikman and down the line. It's on Cam now. I mean, it, it, he's been trending the wrong direction the last couple of years. We're going to see if that was a Mike Shula product or that was a Cam Newton product. I think it's going to be pretty clear, uh, you know, by probably about four or five games into this season. Yeah. I mean, look, when you, when you talk about, so, so for me, the, I agree, it's been lost on it. I, I, I mean, I, I'm trying to, I'm trying to think of the way that, here's the way how I want to phrase this is what is this offense going to look like? Because I think traditionally a Norv Turner offense, as we think about it, is deep drops, vertical passes. Now look, they got all the pieces here because he likes it. He likes a true number one tight end, Greg Olson. You got it. He likes to have a uh, multiplicity in terms of his backs. He's got that in spades with Christian McCaffrey and now CJ Anderson are, are really nice. Nice signing by Marty Herney. Uh, you know, he likes to have, um, a big physical number one receiver too. He's got that in Devin Funches. Then you got DJ Moore, the speed to complement it. I mean, you're right. The weapons are there, but will this offense be that deep step or deep drop sort of throw it deep type of offense with this offensive line? And will that work if that's the case? Yeah, it's a great question. You, you know what I think it's going to look like? I think it's going to look a lot like Cam's first two years with Rob Chudzinski. And, uh, you know, back, and let's not forget, you know, back before everyone had a problem with Cam Newton as a passer. By the way, he threw for 4,000 yards as a rookie and yeah. broke Peyton Manning's rookie passing record. I mean, and, and that was doing a lot of these big chunk plays throwing down the field to, to Steve Smith and, 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 you know, right on down the line. 
I'm not going to mention Legadu Nane's name. I almost <laughs> well, I, there, I, there I did. I, I mentioned it. But I mean, I I clearly remember that first Week One game in Arizona, yes. Cam Newton's first game, and Chud had him just blistering it down the field. I mean, Smith Smitty caught like an 80 yard touchdown, and, and people didn't love Chud because you know it wasn't the balance, and D'Angelo and Jonathan Stewart were being underused. Well, I I mean I think Norv's going to look his offense is going to look a little bit more like that than what we saw with Mike Shula. I'll never forget that first game because Cam had looked like trash in the preseason. There was talk about maybe just playing Jimmy Clausen. I think Jimmy, wasn't it Jimmy Clausen? Still playing Jimmy, playing Jimmy Clausen oh, yeah. over yeah, Cam. Yeah, he was still around. Yeah, and then he comes out against the Cardinals on the road, completes 65% of his passes, breaks the single-game record for most passing yards by a rookie with 422, two touchdowns, 11.4 yards per attempt, and then he went out and broke it the next week too with 432 passing yards. So it, Cam did take the league by storm, and it's one of those things that you know if North can make that happen, then it's all of a sudden this is bad. Where the Panthers are right there in the mix with with Atlanta and, and, and New Orleans with the defense. I, I I don't know I don't I don't know if I'm buying I, I, I clearly I'm skeptical about the Panthers this year I love the Don Terry Poe acquisition to pair with Kawan Short in the middle I have a few questions about whether Julius Peppers and Mario Addison and Wes Horton and Brian Cox Jr. can produce enough on the edges um, Luke Keekley if he's healthy is the best linebacker in the game but is he going to be healthy How much is Thomas Davis going to you know being out four games going to impact them and, and does the secondary have enough are, are are these questions all viable about the defense? Yeah, I mean, definitely the secondary. That that's where I, you know, that that to me is is the obvious potential Achilles heel, and and and, a, and potentially a big one at that. I mean, yeah. you you get rid of Kirk Coleman for for salary cap reasons. Uh, you trade Worley away, which again, I uh, looks pretty good now. Except that you you've traded him essentially for uh, Ross Cockrell and maybe Dante Jackson. Right. I think Jackson's ultimately going to end up, you know, playing more nickel, but. Uh, yeah, I don't know. I mean, Mike Adams is 37. I'm not so worried about Pepper's age. I mean, I, I don't, I don't know that he's going to get 11 sacks again. But you know, he knows his body. The Panthers are basically. He kind of tells Ron Rivera when he's going to practice, and that seemed to work well enough last year to keep him healthy. So I mean, if you get what seven sacks out of Peppers, I think that's probably worth it. And you hope Mario Addison and and some of these young defensive ends. I mean, you. Know, we haven't seen anything out of Deshaun Hall. He basically had a redshirt year as a, as a rookie. So, uh, but but yeah, I'm with you. If if, if there are questions, uh, there's certainly questions at other spots, but a big one in the secondary. All right, circling back to the offense, Joe. Do you what kind of impact can we expect? I mean, DJ Moore, first round pick. Baby Steve Smith, according to Steve Smith, and then Ian Thomas, a fourth round uh, tight end that I think a lot of people, at least the the, the draft Twitter or whatever, you know, people on draft Twitter like. What what kind of impact do you think those two guys can make in year one for this offense? Well, first, full disclosure, I have to uh, tell you about uh, being a kind of a DJ Moore fan since uh, early in the pre-draft process when he and I were seatmates on the flight from Charlotte to Indianapolis. Oh. And, and I was, uh, I got a behind the scenes look into DJ Moore's character. I'm saying this somewhat tongue, tongue in cheek. <laughs> uh, some, some, some of, of 
business uh, woman had inadvertently taken DJ Moore's uh, very nice, uh, albeit coach, uh, seat on the aisle, hmm. leaving the only seat available on the plane next to me on the window. And, and DJ Moore said, hey, uh, I think you're in my seat. And then he proceeded to say, ah, that's just fine. I'll sit in this seat over here next to this uh, wow. curmudgeon. So I was like, this guy's got great character. <laughs> this, is who, this is who the Panthers got to take. I like DJ Moore. I, I think he's a playmaker. I like how he plucks the ball out of the air. I think what Marty Herney said is absolutely accurate in terms of he's a running back after the catch. Mm. And uh, yeah, I, I think he's what they, they really have lacked. Uh, I, I think he's going to be good right from the jump. And he's complimentary, too. I think he fits these other pieces. You know, that they Funchess and Benjamin were the same guy. And yeah, 100%. Dave Gettleman didn't see that, I guess, or, 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 or like that, the idea of that. And, and Marty Herney clearly didn't. And so they, they're spacing the field. You know, you got to give room for McCaffrey too. And then you also asked me about Ian Thomas. It's funny in talking with, you know, various kind of scouts and personnel people around the league. Uh, the thing I kept hearing is a lot of people thought the Panthers reached in the third round for Rashawn Golden, but they thought they got a pretty good steal in the fourth with Ian Thomas, uh, albeit a, a bit of a project that I'm with you. I, I like his upside. Yeah, and I mean, the nice thing is he doesn't have to come in and be tight in one because they still have uh, Greg Greg Olson there. I, the, the thing, you're right, the interesting thing about Gettleman is that, I, I mean, to me, he did a good job drafting on the offensive side of the ball. You know, Andrew Norwell is the UDFA, Trey Turner, uh, the third rounder in 2014, Funches in, in 2015, Curtis Samuel, Christian McCaffrey. I mean, Kelvin Benjamin produced even if he ultimately he did. Didn't, even if he ultimately didn't work out. I, I do wonder though, you point out that, I mean, he went out and got Benjamin and Funches. I almost wonder if he was a little bit behind the trends in identity. I think he wanted to give Cam two big guys with, you know, large catch radius who, you know, were rebound receiver types, but he, I sort of think he missed on the idea that you have to to spread the spread the floor a little bit in 2018 and it, it, it seems like marty herney at least in the, in the idea of going to get dj Moore. this is a sort of a convoluted two-part question but is a he it seems like he kind of gets what you need to do offensively in 2018 and b marty herney's kind of secretly a good drafter i think people kind of lost sight of that at the end of his original tenure yeah so get him in first i i think it, it, you just had too many big bodies clogging up space. Yeah. And, and you, and again, talk, talking to folks with, on other teams, it was, it was sort of like, who on this offense scares you right now in terms of like, there was no Ted Ginn. You know, Ted Ginn was in New Orleans and it's just like, who, I mean, who's going to blow the top? I mean, Demir Bird, I mean, he's fine. Nah, I nah, mean, he's, nah. he's fine. Kurt, Curtis Samuel, maybe eventually if he can stay healthy. But it's, and so, right. So they, so they, they faced a lot of press coverage and, and like, okay, well, dare you, we dare you to try to beat us deep because you're not going to. And it was a lot of loaded boxes for Cam and for McCaffrey and Stewart. 
So, yeah, I think I think very clearly Marty Herney just said we need more speed. We need a lot more speed at the wide out position specifically, but but also in, in other parts of the defense, too, uh, you know, with secondary. And, yeah, I mean, look, the, I, I did a uh, I did something before the draft kind of just kind of looking back and analyzing all of Marty's. Uh, what was it? Something like 11 drafts with the, his first round with the first go round with the Panthers. And it, it was pretty remarkable. I mean, there were definitely some trends that showed up. We all know about how he did well in the first round. Yeah. And, uh, but, but even some of the middle round guys, he, he would draft athletes. You know, he would, he would try to go get athletes more so than necessarily drafting at a need or a one. And, and he did that a little bit this year too. Now, albeit they did need a second tight end, but, but Ian Thomas to me fits that mode exactly that, that he's a guy with a ton of athleticism and, and uh, upside and potential and all that who, who didn't have a, a, you know, much of a track record at Indiana. And, uh, you know, who knows? I mean, Ian Thomas may fall on his face, but he, he looks like the <laughs> Kind of, he may he looks like the kind of guy that you know we might be talking about in three years about what a you know what a steal he was in the fourth round. And, and by the way, uh, Marty Herney's final draft with the Carolina Panthers was in 2012, and he and on this on this opening day roster on this opening day depth chart, he's going to have four first round picks starting for the Carolina Panthers, which is that's pretty remarkable. When you think about it, like he hadn't, like he didn't draft a, he didn't do, conduct a draft with the Panthers for six years. And he's still going to have four first round picks, I guess five technically, if you count DJ Moore there at the wide receiver position, but between him, he knocked it, he knocked it out of the park for sure. Early, early in drafts. I think we know he reached in, in the second and third rounds, uh, you know, when he got a, little crazy his trades like his trades killed him that's what killed that's him. right you're right i mean armani and everett brown jeff he, he avoided that this year i mean he made <laughs> the one trade but nothing nothing no, there were no armani edwards walking through that door and of course we all know that the soon-to-be former owner may have told him pretty explicitly <laughs> yeah. you will be getting armani edwards uh, oh jerry got so crazy about these hometown stories i mean listen i i'm i'm a sap for some of those <laughs> when it's warranted yeah but you know okay let's let's not keep drafting guys just because they played college ball down the road right the biggest loser in in the whole david tepper deal is Brenton burson or brent burson he's gonna be he, brent Burson may be making more money than everybody at some point, like when he gets on the pro golf scene, because oh, I ran really? into him recently. Great guy, let me say, first and sure, foremost. Sure. Smart, smart guy, the kind of guy we'd want to go have an IPA with. <laughs> and like I said, what have you been doing? He's like, well, I'm staying in shape and, you know, playing a lot of golf. <laughs> <laughs> he, uh, yeah, I, I don't want to dump too much on No, on no, 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 he, of course not. But yeah, we, you know, and I, he, he gets it too. Yeah. I mean, hey, look, if I, I, if, if David Tepper wants to hire me to play for the Panthers, I'll, I mean, like, I would keep coming back and playing for the Panthers. Same thing with Jerry Richardson. I don't care who it is. I'll play professional football. You won't get good results. Uh, the results for the Panthers will be interesting this year. Their over under is nine games. That's a lot, but Carolina's been in that seven, eight, nine range. When you look at the Panthers schedule and, and the, you know, the caveat exists, of course, that these schedules are pretty worthless outside the first couple of games. Do you think, do you like the Panthers to go over or under their projected total of nine wins? 
you know, it, I, I, today I'd probably say over. I mean, this, wow. this, this feels again like a team that should be sitting right around ten and six and in the hunt. I don't, I don't. It doesn't feel like a fifteen and one team, but I, but I don't think they're just going to fall on their face like two thousand sixteen either. So uh, I don't know. I mean, may, yeah, I, maybe I'm putting too much stock in the North Turner arrival. Uh, I'm not as as bullish on the uh, as the on the Bucks as as it sounds like you are a little bit. I I just I don't know, man. Probably Every smart. year it's like, oh man, this is a year for Jameis. <laughs> this is a year for the Bucks. And I and he, I know Jameis seems to put up stats, but he just I don't know. I so I so if I'm wrong on the Bucks, then I'll, I'll probably be wrong on the Panthers because but you know because I just feel like maybe the Panthers sweep that series and end up at 10 and 6 like a year ago yeah I mean look if they sweep the Bucks and if they sweep the Bucks it probably means that the Falcons or Saints are going to go 3 and 1 against the Bucks and then the Bucks are going to stink I mean that just might be a byproduct of Tampa Bay being in a bad division I, when I look at Carolina the the one thing that makes me a little bit nervous is that week 4 bye um, I think they I mean they, clearly they have to come out and start 2 and 1 I don't think Dallas is a tough, uh, you know, they'll be favored, but not by much. They can, they can, the Panthers will. They can beat the Cowboys. You know, they can go win in Atlanta. I don't think they will. Uh, they should beat Cincinnati at home to get to two and one before the bye. And then they get three NFC East teams, uh, out of the box before. I don't know. The, the thing that makes me a little bit nervous about Carolina's stretch, closing stretch is starting on November 8th, uh, and it's a Thursday. They're at Pittsburgh and then they're at Detroit. They get Seattle at home at Tampa Bay and at Cleveland. I mean, that's four out of five games on the road, even if the opponents aren't necessarily that tough. And a lot's going to come down to it for this whole division, Joe, I think, with those final three games for Carolina because they play the Saints twice and the Falcons once in the final three weeks. If if New Orleans is worse than people expect or if New Orleans is better than people expect, that's going to make a huge difference, and I think the same thing applies for Carolina. But I wouldn't – look, if they win ten games, I won't be surprised. And if they go eight and eight, I won't be surprised either. I think it's a, I think it's a good number. I, I lean under right now, though. Yeah, I think we both agree that that, that this team has positioned itself to be to be a, a factor, to be uh, should be right there yeah. at the end, and in, in, in going into that stretch you talked about. And if they and if they can't figure out a way to to slow down Kamara and that Saints offense, then it might be eight and eight. Uh, and, and they'll have themselves to thank again for, you know, last year was 0 and 3 against New Orleans. You know, I, I don't think they're going to go on three again. You know, you, you split against the Saints, maybe. Uh, you know, you, but you mentioned, I mean, some of these other games, you know, Cincinnati and Cleveland, you know, it, it just, there, there seem to be some gimmies on that schedule. But yeah. you just, just listening to you go through it, though, that short week, that short week going to Pittsburgh, that, that feels like a, a pivotal game. Just, you know, as it, a team you don't see much, you're not real familiar with their personnel and and by the way you don't you know you don't have a whole lot of time to prepare for yeah and good luck with your secondary guarding antonio brown 
Uh, <laughs> <laughs> oh, him. Yeah, yeah, him. Uh, yeah, I, look, I, I was, my dad, my parents were, they have some, um, well, you know, the, the, the Bryant, the Bryant's, um. Absolutely. Yeah, Melissa Brian Bryant. Brian Graber. Yeah, Brian Graber, who's my cousin. His mom is giving, was giving my parents, by the way, if, for listeners out there, if you haven't read Joe's story in the Charlotte Observer about Steve Wilkes, former Panthers defensive coordinator, turned Cardinals coach, who befriended my cousin, uh, Bryant Graber, who's a greeter at the YMCA. Bryant is really fat. It's a really great story. Go read it and you'll get a little dusty. Joe, you did a tremendous job with it. But, um, Melissa is giving my parents some tickets and my dad was like, which game would you try? You know, which game would you try and get? And it was, it was hard because, you know, I was like, I was like, if I'm you, I either get Monday night football against the Saints. Or I would even lean, I think that opener against the Cowboys, cause the expectations will be so high. There, there, there look like a lot of layups between the Giants, the Giants, Ravens, Buccaneers, and a down Seahawks team. Those home games aren't necessarily sexy, and I think they could do a lot of damage at home, but I think, I think, I bet they go into that closing stretch against the Saints at eight and five, and if they're a good team, they come out with 11 or, you know, 10 or 11 wins. If they're a bad team, they come out eight and eight. That sounds right. I, I agree with you. I think that I think I and I do like how they how the NFL sets that up with the division rivals at the end. Uh, I, I, that Dal, I'm with you on the Dallas game. I think that's going to be like a hot ticket this yeah, summer. Yeah. Uh, you've got you know for I mean David Tapper's first game. Yeah, whatever. Well, that's fine. But and and yeah, that's cool. But I don't think people are going to be paying you know big money to to look in the owners boxes. They just, I mean, it's you is know, he it's, drinking sweet tea or unsweet tea? I know, I know. Is he a Bojangles guy? Uh, <laughs> is he is he but, a Bojangles guy, Joe? Do you know? I don't know. I've I've, I've got to ask that my, my hard hitting questions uh, <laughs> when I sit down with David Tepper. But yeah, you know, I I think that Dallas game. If I'm advising your your parents, if you're at, if that's what you're asking me, yes, you go to the Dallas in Week One and be a part of the buzz uh, in that Bank of America State. Well, I think. I think that's the way they went. So good advice. Uh, Joe Person of the Charlotte Observer. <laughs> Follow him. It's at it's just at Joe Person, right? At Joseph Person. At Joseph Person, my bad. Um You know why you know how I why I did that? Because at one of my jobs, uh one of my previous stops, I was my byline was just Joe Person and I got all like the John Doe jokes and I was just like, All right, and technically I'm John Joseph Person <laughs> and so I wasn't going to pull the J. Joseph person. It's good news. So, it's good news. Whatever. I'm just Joe to you, or maybe even worse, uh, you know, depending on what our uh, situation and crowd is. Uh, well, follow Joe at Joseph person. Read him at the Charlotte Observer, the best coverage of the Panthers on the planet. Thanks, buddy, for joining us. Always a pleasure, man. Let's go grab an IPA soon. Absolutely.